Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. To turn this morning, a short little passage I'm going to consider from 2 Timothy chapter 1. And uh, first I want to make a few comments before I read the passage. But so 2 Timothy chapter 1. Again, also just like to pray, Lord, uh, at the beginning of any message, acknowledging something of the great responsibility of declaring your truth and praying, Lord, for that truth to find access into the hearts of us, your people. And so, again, praying for your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, to be our teacher, and also the one continually changing us. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's a delight to share with families when it comes to dedication. There's always a sense of excitement and perhaps even anticipation and prospect. This little boy, Max, sleeping so peacefully this morning. And I'm sure Larry and Lauren have thought, what, what is it? How will his life unfold? 10, 20, 30, 40, 60 years down the line. Well, I've come to see, and also having lived now and raised four children, that amongst the many concerns that any parent carries is the spiritual well-being of our children. Things don't always go smoothly. There are difficulties. We don't make decisions for children. Children sometimes make decisions we don't agree with, that we do not like. In fact, decisions that hurt us. And so it is a concern, the spiritual well-being that we have for our children, that mothers and fathers face, and perhaps even amongst the boys and girls this morning, it drives us to our knees. Isn't it true, parent? My children are all out of the house. I still pray for them every day. And for their spiritual well-being. I know other parents do that. Some parents among us, hearts are broken, concerned for their children who have moved away from any kind of acknowledgement or confession of faith in Christ. Well, I found an article, and it conveys something of this sentiment of moms and dads being on their knees for their children. And it was the title that caught my attention. It, it, it read like this. Augustine could not outrun a mother's prayers. Man, that, that caught me. And I thought, okay, let me read on. And I did know of Augustine, but here we go. A little bit of a story about his mother and, and his own life. Uh, though the wife of a non-Christian, Monica, that's Augustine's mother, prayed that her family might eventually all come to Christ. She attempted to bring her children up in the ways of the Lord. And now listen to this, because I know this. I know, it, it pained her. It pained her to see them stray from the truth that she had taught them. We, you, some of you feel that regarding your children. 
Her most promising son, Augustine, was given an excellent education. Monica hoped that this might be a means of his more fully reaching God. Sadly, Augustine ignored his mother's warnings against youthful lusts. And he pursued a life of self-gratification and immorality while continuing his classical education. He lived with a woman, not his wife, and he fathered a child. Monica didn't have the words to convince her son of the truth of Christianity. But she determined never to stop praying that he would turn to God. Later, when Augustine went to Italy to teach, Monica, by then a widow, followed him there. In, Mil- in Milan, she attended the church pastored by Ambrose and rejoiced when Augustine was befriended by Ambrose. By the way, he was a great preacher and could call him a church father. And Augustine eventually became a Christian. Monica died in the year 387 at the age of 56. In his confessions, Augustine spoke of his grief and weeping for the mother. Now gone from my sight. Now he's writing to God. It's a confession. Now gone from my sight, who for years had wept over me that I might live in your sight, in God's sight. She died a happy woman, for she had seen her prayers answered. And both her husband and her son became believers. Augustine was only 33 at the time of his mother's death. Many years of service to Christ and his church lay before him. And if you know anything of church history, Augustine is probably one of the most significant, influential Christian leaders. And interestingly enough, not only in the Protestant tradition, but also in the Catholic tradition. Well, for your encouragement, moms and dads, young moms and dads, and us older parents, and challenge today, I want to again introduce you, remind you of a mother and a granny who also who also influenced one of God's greatest servants, Timothy. So Timothy's mother Eunice and his granny Lois made an incredible investment in the life of this young boy, Timothy. And again, we see to this very day, there continues to be fruit. So now having said that, let's read this passage from verse 3, just uh, uh, 3 to verse 5. Paul writes to Timothy now, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Those are great words, I hope, of encouragement and challenge. Now, we don't know much about these women, uh, two women, other than what Paul alludes to in this passage, but there's certainly something here for us to learn from, to extract, uh, recorded in the Scriptures for our benefit, and so I believe uh, a usefulness in spending some time on it. There's enough here for us to see how much this young preacher had gained. Now, at least we can say that he gained salvation and a salvation that led to service in the kingdom. 
from what God had provided through the, through, well, through the mother and through the granny. God providing through them as instruments. So what was it? And, and, and this is the thing that interests me, and, and I hope you this morning. What, what was it that these women had that they were able to use as instruments to have some kind of impact in the life of young Timothy? So much so that their equipping resulted in his life changing in such a way that the church back then, and we're talking 2,000 years ago, the church down through the ages and even today continues to benefit and be enriched as a result of these unknown, ordinary ladies. Enormous investment that produced a wonderful dividend that lasted and continues to last down through the ages. And so as moms and dads, grannies, and perhaps I should even say moms and dads to be, and others in the church who are even praying uh, for children, there are some tools. There are some things you need to have that God has provided for the salvation of children. So the first point I'm wanting to make, and I only have two points this morning, I've called it inward equipping. And having said that now, I want to speak to the boys and girls. Or the primary school boys and girls, put their hands up. Are there any yet today? There, I see, at least Timothy, and there, I see Katie. And And so I thought to the boys and girls this morning, I'm going to go into my wallet, and I'm going to offer one of the children here this morning a $100 bill, U.S., any more children putting their hands up? <laughs> right, Timothy, come forward and fetch a hundred dollars, boy. Just so for everybody's benefit. Don't don't give it to your mom and dad. You spend it, eh? I was digging, yes, I'm always digging in drawers. And I found this packet of tissues. And they had the pictures of a $100 bill. So that's, it's not a real $100 bill. <laughs> in case any of you thought I was that generous, eh? But I'm trying to make a point this morning. And the point is this. You can't give away something you haven't got. I don't have a real $100 bill in my wallet. No, neither anywhere else. <laughs> and so the point is that looks like a hundred dollar bill. In fact, I looked at the detail of it and it has all the markings that uh, the currency of the United States have on their currency. There's the picture of whatever that president was and it has a date and it has a signature and, and there's a hundred dollars. And, 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 and so the point is, I can't give something I don't have. So, so these ladies, these ladies had an inward equipping. They had something to offer to this young boy, Timothy. And you'll notice that in the, in the fifth verse, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. They had something, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I'm now sure dwells in you. You see, folk, when I said I had a hundred dollars, 
There were many interested parties. And when it comes to so-called religion, there are many interested parties and there are many people who have a lot on offer. And, 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 and is it the real thing? Is, is the question we have to be asking. And, and another illustration I thought of is in this city. There, there is an informal sales force that will provide you with almost any fashion, accessory, or gadget that you desire. You can own a pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses, or you can own a Nike cap, or you can buy a Springbok shirt, or you can even buy Apple cell phone chargers, all at unbelievable prices. They are so cheap. Many of you have bought those items, only to discover that they fall apart. Only to discover when you have a closer look, it's a tissue. It's not a hundred rand or hundred dollars. They're fake. They're not the real thing. And so it's important for us as parents, as, as, as grandparents, as, as those who profess faith, that yes, be aware there are counterfeit products on the market, on the religious market. It is possible to have either sincere faith, the real thing, it's very possible to be deceived and deluded in having a counterfeit, or what I want to call this morning, a false faith. We see this often alluded to in the New Testament. Uh, the point being that not everyone who thinks that he or she has saving faith in Christ actually does. Just one example, somewhat of a different example that I want to mention this morning is, is Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. Initially, the apparent response uh, that, 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 that he demonstrates seems so convincing, so much so that, that Philip baptizes him. Yet, when the apostles come along, he actually demonstrates by the fruit of, of, of his life that he was unsaved. It's possible. It's possible to think that you are a believer. It is possible. And again, that verse that sometimes is a haunting verse, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I never knew you. And so fake sunglasses, are, are, it doesn't matter. You can buy three pairs and it, it doesn't matter. But, but false faith will not give you access into heaven. False faith will not give you a right standing with God. And so true and sincere faith is that which makes an impact on the lives of others, and particularly this morning on our children, which leads me then to speak about the true faith. We need to look a little bit closer. Superficial professions of faith are insufficient. It's not enough simply to say, the Lord it's not sufficient simply to say, Jesus. One needs to look and see what is it that the Bible describes and unfolds for us in being able to discern that which is genuine or that which is counterfeit. I just jotted down some of these uh, here that I've summarized in a single sentence. It is vital to note that fundamentally the fake... Anything fake, whether it be the $100 tissue or whether it be the Ray-Ban sunglasses, anything fake, whatever is fake, is always made in the wrong place by those unauthorized to do so. 
Let that sink in a little bit. Wrong place, made by the wrong person. Now we apply that. We apply that to the uh, true faith that, that we find in the Bible. You see, true faith, saving faith, is created in the human heart by God. This is a divine experience, a divine reality. Jesus called it being born again, being born from above. And, and, and why is that so necessary? It is because, as we're told in just one example in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah chapter 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The problem is so serious, only God can provide the remedy. Only God can provide the solution. There is no ten steps or six steps or uh, the, the, the latest book that is most popular. It's not God. God has to be the author of saving faith. It needs to be made by God. Beautiful promise for us living this side of the cross. The Old Testament repeatedly speaking about a time of new covenant ministry. And even the prophet Ezekiel giving us uh, insight into this new covenant ministry where uh, God speaking through the prophet says in Ezekiel 36, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. In other words, true faith is not external. It's not just abiding by certain rules and regulations or conforming to some sort of code of conduct. It's an inward change. God gives a new heart, heart with different inclinations, inclinations that are in submission to Him, a desire for Him, a desire to submit to Him, to learn from Him. In fact, he goes on in that same verse, I will remove the heart of stone. You know that, that stubborn uh, heart that, that digs its heels in against anything, against God? He changes that. He changes it. And so faith, this wonderful gift of faith uh, made by God is a gift from God. By grace you've been saved, Paul writes to the Ephesians, not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. And so to understand and even to say this to those of us who are concerned about our children, little children, bigger children, can you understand the need of Monica? Being on her knees. Can you understand why it, was ne- it, it is necessary for us also to be going to God? There's a beautiful example. I, I love this description in Acts chapter 16. Luke writing the book of Acts. And uh, he writes of uh, a conversion of a lady. He says in Acts chapter 16 verse 14, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. And by the way, she was a religious person up to that point. And she was from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. But listen to this. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. The gospel, Jesus, salvation. What are those marks of authenticity that we can look for? The most basic thing about saving faith is that it believes God. Not only that God exists, but believes what God says and has said. And so if you have saving faith, you're convinced that God is truthful, that what God has revealed to us, and that He's capable of doing what He says. And so saving faith focuses on the work of Christ. It's not about external religion, as I've already said. It's saving faith because it leads to internal change, a salvation, uh, 
And it's a faith that doesn't only just uh, believe in God mentally, but actually from the very depths of one's own heart and being. It's not just mere assent, but a confessing with mouth and a believing in the heart, as, as, as uh, Paul says to the Romans in chapter 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a, it's, it's a confession from within. Sa- saving faith includes, therefore, I, I'm trusting in Christ for my salvation. And, and, and there's, a, there's evidence of that in that there's fruit of, and, and the first fruit is that of repentance. We're going to sing a song just now. Uh, my sins are many, uh, your mercy is more. We, we know that. We're sinners. We, we stand in the need of, of God's grace because uh, we, we are lost and, and deviant. But the willingness in saving faith to turn from that repeatedly again and again, moving on in growth in sanctification. So Lois and Eunice, I'm convinced that real faith. Timothy had this sincere faith. But there's a comment I need to make. The faith of these two women was contagious, and that's the point I'm trying to make, inward equipping. But here's something we need to remember. Timothy's conversion was not instantaneous. It only came later. Timothy was kept in God's economy and God's unfolding of salvation in his life was left to Paul. The mom and the granny were just instruments along the way. All their hard work, but it was only one day later at Lystra, under the ministry of Paul, that Timothy was converted. And so my point is, those of us who are concerned about children who are older and adults, don't give up. Because God, God's unfolding purposes and His timing is not the same as what we always would like and desire. Be patient. God is at work in his time. Number two, not only inward equipping, but these women also had what I want to call this morning outward equipment. They're tools. Got to use the tools. And, and we read of these tools and, and this uh, uh, from chapter 2, Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. How from childhood, this is Paul writing to Timothy, You have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What did these ladies do? They faithfully and patiently used the tool that God had provided to make their little boy wise for salvation. As Hebrew women, they were obeying what God had instructed through Moses. And a well-known passage in Deuteronomy 6, these words, there's the sacred writings that I command you today, shall be on your heart. There's the inward equipping. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You know, one of the common uh, characteristics of 2023 and the age that we live is biblical illiteracy. How does that happen? Mom and dad haven't been doing their job. That's why it happens. Mom and dad don't bring the kids to church. They put them in a creche. Never talk about God at home. They 
They, they don't read the Bible themselves. They don't read the Bible to their children. And so the children have no idea. They grow up and, and they don't even know. I, sometimes I like listening to these uh, quiz programs. And uh, uh, almost every single quiz program where there's a question about the Bible, people don't get it. It's biblical illiteracy. And, and it's not, the problem is parents. We, we're not doing our jobs. We're not doing as these women did. What they did beginning in the days of Timothy's infancy, baby, that's what infancy is, baby. When he was just a little baby imparting the truth of God to him. They didn't wait for later when he was older and more capable. I'm always amazed that somebody says to me, how can my child understand words like soteriology and eschatology and pneumatology? But man, they can name every single one of the dinosaurs at four years old. Here's a bit of secular advice also that I found in an article. Before all things, let the talk of the child's nurse not be ungrammatical. The context was a discussion on the kind of best education for an orator. And the person is Chrysippus. This is old stuff. He wished that every such nurse should be, if possible, a woman of some liberality of education, for it is his nurse, the future orator, first year speaking, and it is her words and accents he will first imitate. That is a challenge to us parents. The priority in the lives of these busy women was to teach the scriptures to Timothy. Primarily the Old Testament, that's what has been referred to here. The law, the prophets, and the writings. They sought to prepare him for the gift of faith that God would give him in later years. And we see this toolbox in verse 16 of chapter 3 of the same book. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. That the man or the woman of God may be competent, equipped, for every good work. This teaching that we ought to pass on to our children. The God-given tool for teaching is the Bible. All scripture. And again, the challenge in our day when there's so much available, we, we, we resort not to teaching all of scripture, but bits and pieces. All of scripture. All of scripture. That they may know, that our children would know about God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. God is the author of life. God who made people to worship Him, delight in Him. This God who is majestic and sovereign and mighty. This God who is not like us. There's a big problem today. People think God is just a little... No, God is transcendently great and majestic. And we are finite and He's infinite. Our kids need to know that. They need to see how we live. That this God is all-knowing and powerful and loving and compassionate. And also to know... That this God is not mocked. Scriptures tell us. It's a dreadful thing, children, to fall into the hands of the living God. Know that. Be, be warned. Be careful. That this God is to be worshipped supremely and exclusively. But the good news of the gospel. The truth about sin and rebellion. That every single person is under the curse 
that people are not basically good. I don't know where that, that's, that's rubbish. That's not what the Bible teaches. Our hearts are deceptive. We're, f- we, we, we're people who have fallen and, and, and we fail and fall short of the glory of God. Our kids need to know that, that, that they're dead in their transgressions. But God, who provides life and hope, forgiveness. And then along the way, not only teaching, because God has given us a revelation to inform our ignorance, but we ought to rebuke and correct our children. Our children are not our friends, not buddies. We can have a good relationship with them, but we're the parents. And so we have to correct them and, and rebuke them because they have a bias. They, 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 they have this tendency uh, to go off righteousness. I'm sure there were times in Timothy's life, normal young boy, where he needed to be corrected for disobedience, for lying, for laziness, for dishonoring his parents, negatively needing to be rebuked, but positively also to be trained in righteousness. Understanding 1 Timothy 4, 8, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life, and also for the life to come. Do you ever talk to your kids about godliness? The benefits of obedience? Remember that phrase? I've forgotten it myself. Never forget the wisdom from above. And so, folks, just to conclude this message, while you're on your knees praying for your children, and I hope you're doing that, two tools, very necessary in the task of raising a child. Sincere faith, inward equipping, a love for God that is obvious, that can be seen, appreciation for what Jesus has done, and outward equipment. What's your Bible look like? I was watching an interview on YouTube, and the guy doing the interview had a whole bunch of Bibles stacked uh, behind him. And it was noticeable that none of these Bibles had been read. You, you, you know what I mean? So what does your Bible look like? You know, do, do, you, do your kids see you reading the Bible? <laughs> do you ever read it to them? And, and, and do you use, do you know the Bible? Join a Bible study group. Uh, equip yourself so that you can use this equipment that God has provided. Both gifts from God Just final two verses as I conclude. Moms and dads and grannies and grandpas and the rest, all of us here today. Take responsibility for your own soul. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Take responsibility. But then 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. Moms and dads. Larry and Lauren. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth toward the salvation of our children. And Lord, we pray for this. Our hearts ache when we see, Lord, children who have uh, followed a different direction, who have rejected 
the gospel, who have no regard for God and for the gospel of Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would be merciful, that you would show grace, that you would intervene. And Lord, even as the Apostle Paul had that amazing experience on the road to Damascus where he was, uh, his life was turned around. May we see and hear of others too who have been stopped in their tracks. A Lydia, Lord, where her heart was opened. May the hearts of our children, the young children, the older children, Lord, those who have even become aged, that they would come to know you, that you would open their hearts, that your word would come as it were like a hammer and fire, breaking the hard heart, giving them a heart of flesh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.